Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, Rifflers. This is Riffs and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast, where we go through many 5e books and talk about various rules and enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riffwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riffwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk to you about government. Why? Government is good. They, they help people. Yay. One would hope. Uh, history has been somewhat divided on that, but that's one of the draws of Dungeons and Dragons. The fact that you can make your world's governments whatever you want them to be. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say at the top here. Well, you know how I am by now with things. So just be ready for that. Just. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, before we go into the typical Remy rant about just how insane I went with yes. this, uh, mm-hmm. I'm just curious, Nathan, have you actually read any of the relevant information in the Dungeon Master's Guide? No. That's what I figured. So there's actually a really nice uh, spread over about two pages on, I think, 18 and 19 of the yeah. the 5th edition Dungeon That's Master's like, Guide. Uh some some general thing that oh people rule and it's like some magic yeah. thing with magic people rule there is a and then really nice mag- a D1- magic yeah. rich money yes yeah there's a whole d100 chart that lists 20 different types of governments some of which you know we obviously can't have in the real world like a majocracy so i am not going to <laughs> go through like the definitions of all 20 of the things just because that would be a lot of just reading and explaining and that's just not Wait, the best use of our time hmm? like there's just one thing i want to cover before we go any deeper sure so what, what what is your opinion on the fact that almost everyone um has pretty much most of their dominant governments being um monarchies Okay, no, that actually is going to be a topic of discussion afterwards. So let's just go through the list first, and then we absolutely are going to be talking about that. That is on the list. But uh, anyway, 
so just to go down briefly down the list again i'm not going to uh read all of them but i am just gonna go through this list here Autocracy, bureaucracy, confederacy, democracy, dictatorship, feudalism, gerontocracy, hierarchy, majocracy, matriarchy, militocracy, monarchy, oligarchy, patriarchy, meritocracy, plutocracy, republic, uh, satrapy, kleptocracy, and theocracy. Honestly, you could have said that like at normal speed. I could have sped that up, but no, he he went he went and said it fast anyways. And, you know mm. this guy's no no. Crazy. I can do better. Take two. Autocracy, bureaucracy, no. confederacy, democracy, dictatorship, feudalism, gerontocracy, hierarchy, meritocracy, matriarchy, militocracy, monarchy, oligarchy, patriarchy, meritocracy, plutocracy, democracy, kleptocracy, theocracy. I'm just gonna keep both 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 in to make fun of you. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Anyways. Uh, so yeah, there are 20 freaking types of government that are listed right there. And in that uh, spread in the Dungeon Master's Guide that I mentioned, it actually does go through the definition of all of them. But we're going to be focusing on just a few in particular and just talking about the use of government in your Dungeons & Dragons game to actually make it be a helpful thing or just something that just adds to your world. So with that being said, now is the time where we can uh, pull that bookmark from just a few minutes ago. Monarchy. It is honestly really fucking strange that when given the power to make your own universe, pretty much everyone for some reason defaults to, ah, yes, this is, you know, medieval-esque. So of course, <laughs> everything is a monarchy with, you know, a king. And that's the default for damn near everything it's, and everyone. It's fucking hilarious that the default <sighs> is like, oh yes, this rich man said everything I see here is mine, and 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 everyone agrees. And it was so, so. It, it's all cool, and it's so yay. And that's <laughs> fucking weird because like, like half of the time, half of the time you don't you don't even have a reasoning. Like they they don't have the, the bullshit that real pe real monarchy said. Yeah, um, God, yeah, God said I could be here. So, so I'm I'm here. Yeah, except yeah, that's yeah. the thing. In D and D, that can actually happen, and yet that's so rare. Like there is both theocracy and mageocracies on that list, and yet that's insanely rare to actually see used in a D and D game, which is just insanity to me. So if you have a world, especially if you have a like higher magic world or just one with active gods, why isn't damn near everything a theocracy? Like if you have actual gods that walk the earth, like the right. quote unquote king could actually be God. Honestly, like what, what I have to say, right, is that um, like I'm looking at my own setting retrospectively, like looking back onto it. And I, like, here's the thing. I just find it funny that mine technically are conventional monarchies but until but if you take a closer look to some of them like for example the human uh kingdoms um you you see that the guy in power has this magic object that basically deems him to be the rightful ruler and that kind of thing which doesn't actually make it the most traditional monarchy it's kind of kind of cool <laughs> no i'm actually a really big fan of what you did with that so Boy, trying to organize this. There's so much to go over that I unfortunately this is not pit fiends and politics, so I can't just go on an entire podcast series about government. We just don't have that kind of time right now. But ah oh boy. Anyway, in D D, let 
first think about what you're actually trying to accomplish by using government. So, Nathan, what is the purpose of government in general? And then how is that relevant to D&D? So essentially what government is, it's a way to essentially get social goods for the people. So like things that businesses otherwise wouldn't account for. So who's going to be, um, you know, protecting the people? Uh, who's going to be, you know, stopping fires and shit? Who's going to care about the fact that some people are hunting a species of extension, that kind of thing? It's kind of their job. Like say this business is kind of... Uh, doing bad shit generally have the government be like nope or like if there's a group of people murdering people in the streets the government's like there to be like hey uh pay these guys and then pay some guys to be like no you can't do that i've, I've got a magic gun which is magic it's a gun uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> so more or less correct but yeah so it is just for better and for worse how you choose to have people be organized for the sake of just having a society instead of just everyone looking out for themselves and just killing anyone in front of them. Unless that's what you want to do. Technically speaking, if you want to have a D&D game, you can do a totally unexpected style of game where there just are no governments. And I don't know that I've ever actually seen that happen because most D&D is... There's a handful of cities out there that are, you know, points of light in the darkness is the phrase that I've seen before. And it is just a handful of cities. And then that's your kind of world. And there's just all of this very, very, very dangerous stuff in between the cities. And, you know, varying degrees of danger, just depending on your world building. But if you want there to just be no cities out there, no you know, major points of organized people and that everyone is still at like the tribal phase of development, you can do that. On the other hand, there's still gonna be government because if you have any number of people, more than one, then there is some form of government because there's some form of, oh, okay, does everyone have enough food? Does everyone have a way to not get killed by the elements or the crazy dangerous monsters that are out in the woods? The absolute basics of survival require some form of cooperation, because if there's no cooperation, then you don't breed and your species is dead. So you need something, even if you do not choose to use cities in your own world. Whether it is going to be, you know, the, uh, you know, the tribe chief or whether that is going to be more, you know, autocratic or whether that is, you know, the chief just gets voted on or it's just the dude who lived the longest. So that's the more gerontocracy. So it's just like, oh, wow, that guy lived to be 30. Wow. Like no one else is that old. I guess he's in charge now. Like whatever it is that you want. Go for it, Nathan. So um, this has got me really going because I, I find it extremely interesting to, in fact, build a setting around or a location around. So essentially, you just have these really small encampments and very, very dangerous, powerful pack hunters in the woods um, where like these woods are dead woods, like the, there's barely anything to eat. Um, and it's all muddy because it needs to be muddy. <laughs> and they're, they're surviving mm-hmm. off scraps and shit. And, and like, like the, the thing is that because there's there's so little to go about, everyone works together in like, like a very 
sort of tribal way. And like, like, can, like just off of these government things, you can come up with locations and settings just like that. So, and you could even have it be something like scarcity of resources, then driving the various peoples against each other. Right. And it can be a very almost Mad Max style of... Exactly. Things are not great. Hey, Nathan, that's the Dark Sun campaign setting. We Yes. So that actually is one of the worlds in the multiverse of Dungeons and Dragons. It's pretty much that. Like, it's, it's funny. It even is off in that like, kind of like, you know, muddy, dirty kind of futuristic world. But yeah, Dark Sun's a lot of fun, actually. I like that. I like that world. Anyway, so the point that I was trying to make, though, I just got distracted and I'm sorry. But uh, whether you have cities or just small bands of people working together, there is going to be some form of organization to that. Do you need to plan out every single collection of people in your world? No. Did I do that? Yes. Did I need to do that? No. No. But it He's was crazy. Fun. Stop him. <laughs> do, but uh, one important thing to also consider, though, when you are actually planning out what you want a government style to be in a place where you are doing this, things are not just going to be one thing necessarily if you look at you know most world governments now in our world then they're not just a simple automatic one thing like people often you know say that america is a democracy but that's not technically true because we don't vote for every single thing that gets done we are a, a representative right? democracy oh so the line between republican democracy is it's a very kind of fuzzy line, but technically speaking, the the best just short way to phrase it is that we are a representative democracy. So or but republic is also a way to say that because republic representative rep rep. That's, you know, kind of the etymology of the words. But anyway, yeah. So the way that America works as a republic or as a representative democracy, just pick your choice of words is the fact that, OK, so we vote for people to just make the choices for us in theory just we vote for people that think the same as us so that we don't have to take the time to just make all of those decisions because think about how many choices need to get made in so many places in just the u.s like how if every single thing had to get voted funny. on by everyone, like imagine it, there's just like a small town that the local Our... government has to make a decision of, OK, we have a budget of a million dollars and we have two projects that each cost a million dollars. It'd be right. weird to have everyone in the country vote for that one small town to make Honestly, that choice and unnecessary. I, I kind of low key want to see like a futuristic setting where it's just like Twitter or something, something stupid like that. And then, like, it's just like a online polling thing that you can do, <laughs> and then just like people just take a little time. It's like, oh, should this guy be executed? Oh, <laughs> but, but, but okay, like, okay, let's let's think about that. How many crimes happen in the U.S. alone? And trying Too to many. think, then, okay, let's say that there are like you know ten thousand cases that go to trial a year that's underselling things by a lot but let's just say for the sake of argument imagine if every single one was a direct democracy vote for the result of it and that everyone in the country is expected to vote for ten thousand issues in a single year 
And that's just for potential crime for that example. So imagine if there was, you know, a hundred thousand things that just all of the decisions that need to get made. That that's a bit much. So there's a reason that we did go for the whole having representatives, because it is a much more efficient system. But then we also have it where we have the tiers of government, where we have federal, state, you know, county, city. Like it narrows down for the relevant people to be able to vote for more direct representatives in the various bodies of government. And it's for really good reason, just because direct democracy is is just unfeasibly difficult to actually do for everything. So having representatives is a way to do that. Anyway, uh, sorry, that was a politics tangent, which, you know, makes sense with this topic of discussion, but not quite as relevant to Dungeons and Dragons. How you want to apply a government in D&D does affect the feel of the place where you are. So to go for a different example of let's just stick with democracy for a moment. Imagine if instead of it being, you know, a king in a place that you your players travel to some other just city that exists in your world. And it just is a place where let's just say it is more kind of Greek style of democracy where there is the Senate, but anyone is able to just go and it the rule is just okay every saturday every saturday we have no no just every saturday there's a meeting you know uh, there are a thousand seats first thousand people that get in line by this time are the ones who are in the room and they're the ones who vote on the things and that's just how we make our decisions for the big stuff is just that like because trying to do like mass democracy in a D world would be really hard so having something mm-hmm. like that where it is just the kind of thing like okay maybe they're like or you know you could also go with like a more high magic solution maybe there's a situation of like okay um every single person has a bracelet and there is just a spell cast over the entire city and everyone whose bracelet turns green are the ones who vote for the thing this week like whatever the situation to just have their it's jury duty kind of yeah and that's a way that you could do it or if you want to have it be that more american style of you can have there be okay every you know every single village has one person that they nominate to represent them in the you know, kingdom that is making the decisions. So, okay, let me actually zoom out a moment because I'm actually focusing too much on some of the details. And I want to step back for a moment and talk about the actual applications of why this can be relevant. So obviously, I am a crazy person and think too much about certain world building aspects. This is known. I don't care. What can be valuable is to think how much wealth does a kingdom have? How do they get that wealth and how do they use that wealth? And those are the biggest questions that I think you can use to figure out how this can affect your world building. So if you have that kind of situation, then of, okay, you get 
the money in this kingdom just through taxes. So some of the individual people might own, you know, land to grow food or land that has, you know, minerals to mine or whatever have you. Uh, there might be good craftsmen, whatever the situation, you collect taxes. Could you imagine the reaction if player characters go to a city and get told, okay, uh, so there's that 500 gold reward, uh, you owe 50 gold taxes, so here is your 450 gold. What do you think the player reaction to that would be? I think a, a good chunk of people would focus on the tax side of things like wait 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 wait, what no 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 that's my 500 gold i don't want to give 50 gold to the government i don't live here but you, you earn the income here so you you have to pay the income tax that's the law like it's such a simple common thing just I like mean, yeah, uh, yeah taxes like, exist okay. the, the, the big funny thing for me is just like um <laughs> like obviously the players would be annoyed right but it's that kind of thing that we just deal with in real life, and we we get annoyed as well. And it's just like, yeah, but but, but why not in fantasy land? And and I think when it really comes down to it, it's just that ex ex escapism. Mm -hmm. But there there are ways to execute it correctly. So as imagine it's that kind of thing as the player goes up, it's like they get recognized by more people, and there becomes that one thing. It's like, um. You are recognized by the the state to be uh, representatives of the state, and you you need not pay taxes while here. You, you, we we will cover your expenses. You know that kind of freaking dumb shit that, um, gov like southern governments would do to just mm -hmm. give increase their influence by not to mention having the fact you that, become so. The way that adventurers right. spend gold is rather freely so if you have you know a city that has like let's say you know a place like Seville in Riftwake where they have a lot of particularly good artisans so if adventurers show up then it can be the situation very easily even at relatively low levels where hundreds of gold just suddenly gets spent which just puts you know tens of thousands hundreds of thousands you know of dollar equivalent of value into the local economy and that might right. be gold that was taken from a tomb halfway across the world just depending on the kind of you know game style that you're playing and yet that flood of gold into a local economy is a big reason for why adventurers exist like and just thinking about how that gold changes hands or just another thing to think about too is just how much gold does the government have and i know that Thinking about taxation is not exciting to people, but I love thinking about what ifs. So this is actually what I used as a way to control myself instead of just thinking what kind of just crazy magic shit does the government here have? I think, OK, so I have spreadsheets because, of course, I do. But so I have a spreadsheet of, OK, this people, this place has this many people that are this wealthy. Therefore. The government has an average income of this amount through taxation. So that gives me as a DM an actual gold number budget of what is available to that particular government. And that allows me to figure out then, OK, so then the government has X, Y, Z expenses. That means then there's a discretionary budget of this much. So how much are people going to be dishonest trying to skim off the top to get some of that? How much is it that there's right. going to be? Yes. 
you've already done more than I thought. I, I like then I would buy threefold. This is ridiculous. <laughs> it's me. What do you expect? No, no, like like I was like, yes, yes, taxes, taxes, and it's like the money that's gonna get scummed off the top. And like, wait a second, they're saying things. Holy yes. shit! <laughs> yeah, again. I'm not just a crazy person who does this because I think it's fun. I do this because I think it adds value to my world to think about these things, to think about, okay, there's this much gold, but wait, let's say that it's a particularly small village that only has, you know, a couple hundred people, you know, it's led by a local Lord and we'll get into talking more about, just nobility at some point in the future but let's just use the word lord for the sake of ease right now so the lord is the one in charge of this in charge of this village they make let's just say a thousand gold a year in taxes but the town has expenses of you know 800 gold leaving you know 200 gold available just in case of emergency drought what have you but okay so that just gives you a kind of set up in my eyes because what happens if there is a particularly bad you know flood that year that destroys a lot of crops but then there is an orc attack and in addition to that the local lord has a drinking problem and ends up spending gold that isn't actually his trying to deal with his habits you then have a myriad of plot hooks in this tiny village all based around the fact that I thought about taxes. And that's just the tip of the iceberg, because there is no limit to the things that you can do in a Dungeons & Dragons world. That's the draw of the game. So if you do take that even a step farther in terms of government, you can then start thinking, okay, how crazy do I want to go with this? Because magic items are a thing that exist in D&D. So something that I don't see a lot is to think about, okay, wait a minute. So if a government has access to money, then money gives power. In, in a D&D world, that is more literal. Because there are either spellcasters potentially for hire, there are potentially you know magic items that can be made. So there are a lot of world-changing magic items. We've talked about that a little bit here and there in the past. You know, Decanter of Endless Water is one that always comes to mind for me. It is infinite water, and that's insane. So that means then that, okay, you can have a desert, and if you have a single uncommon magic item, I did the math of it once, just, well, me. And I figured out that, okay, if you have a person or a couple of people even just on rotation who 24 hours a day are just continually using their action to just pump out the 30 gallon of using the decanter of endless water, then, okay, 30 gallons every six seconds all the time is basically enough to fill a small water tower if it is used continually. So you can have a single uncommon magic item completely supply a water tower in a place that has no water because magic that changes the world because places are built where resources are whether that is just financial or at the very very most basic water because if there's water you can live the point being that is a single uncommon magic item 
there are a lot more things that exist just as written. There is, I'm not even going to consider homebrew for the sake of this argument at the moment, just to just consider by rules as written. Uh, there's another kind of nifty item that what was it candle of invocation, I think, that when it is lit can allow certain, I think, clerics and druids who are in the light to just cast first level spells without expending a spell slot. So the druid one caught my attention because Goodberry, you know, rather infamous spell. The fact that, OK, one casting 10 berries, people don't need to eat for the day. That's quite literally what the berry does. And that's even disregarding the magical healing aspect of that for the moment. So if you have a candle of evocation burning or invocation, not evocation, that's exploding magic. Anyway, if you have this magic item burning, then OK, all of a sudden, if you have a couple of druids around, then you can just have nearly infinite food. And again, that changes the world. No one goes hungry in a city with enough wealth to have one of these items on standby. I'm sorry, you're saying it wrong. No one goes hungry as long as the people who control that stuff <laughs> let them and, not go hungry. And that's where we get into the application of this in world. Because imagine if you do find out this is a thing that exists. Like, I mean, like player characters finding out that this is a thing that exists and then finding out that they're not doing it, finding out that this is just a thing that is in reserve. And yet you see like people starving in the streets. Like if there is the situation of the more kind of evil noble or whatever, what have you, the application of any of this is infinitely variable. And that is why I love thinking about all of the what ifs involved in this so much, because there is no limit at all in terms of how anything can be applied. So that's just thinking about a handful of magic items. You could have it be, OK, they're doing it. Holy shit, this is a world without world hunger? That's amazing. Or you could have it be, okay, this is a place where people are dickish and they didn't do that. Or it could be a situation of, okay, maybe uh, uh, this is a situation where only one person knows how to make this item. And so rival kingdoms fucking hate that idea. And then you can have a potentially world war Remy, over this Remy. individual. You're not you're, th you're not thinking evil enough. Oh dear. The Go whole reason it. why I brought that up was I, I was thinking in a world where there's not so much food and stuff, the person who controls the food controls the people. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. And that just goes to illustrate, even with the exact same setup, different dungeon masters can have different ways to use that information. And that is exactly why I feel it's so valuable to plan out at least some of the things that are likely to just come up in your own world. Do you need to plot out every single government across your world? No. Should you have some idea of what the situation is in the place where your players are? Yes because that can influence how everything works. So as a quick example, right now in Riftwake, there is a new king, and that is creating a huge amount of political upheaval. So right now, the 
our player characters are in a city that the ruler is now not there anymore. So there is just a regent who is kind of holding on to the reins for now. As player characters, we know that. We don't know how it's going. I want to know, but we're not yet in a situation to really find out more about that. But it creates a situation where, oh shit, the place that we're in is kind of unstable at the moment. Is the person in charge doing well? Is the person in charge going to give up the power when they're supposed to? We don't know. Honestly, that's one of the most fun bits of like governments. It's just the power powers at play, and the questions of people whether they're actually like viable for their positions. It's a lot of fun to think about, and it is the kind of thing that it there's no way to even know. Is it going to matter to our player characters? It is more likely than not, unfortunately for me, that it's not going to actually be relevant to us ever. Like, it's just going to be something in the background. Nathan may have stuff go on in the background that we just never find out about. That's just a thing that might happen. Or it might be a situation. I'm not. (laughs) Hmm? I mean, I'm just trying to give you credit. I know you don't. Let's go with that. But okay, okay. so let me just tangent it in that direction then. On the other hand, you might be a more improvisational dungeon master like Nathan, who just has this kind of stuff just happen because the players ask certain questions or because you have an asshole like me in your party who just pokes his nose into things. And it might be the kind of like, oh, yeah, I guess that did happen. Well, shit. Uh, This. Okay, it's this now. Yeah, and and okay, so to any other improvisational uh, DMs out there and uh, such, and just talking to Remy in general, the way that I handle um, general political stuff and whatnot is essentially I just have things cooking until people are like, hey, that ain't quite right. And I'll be like, yeah, sure. Um, the, the, the thing that you're suggesting that is not going on has been going this entire time. Yes. <laughs> you just didn't know about it (laughs) and that very well could be and again there's not any kind of right answer to this like there's nothing wrong with the way that nathan does things and arguably there's a little bit more in the way that i do things because it's a bit extra but anyway uh to move on to another point though uh we did mention at the beginning that it's kind of insane that most of the things that we see are monarchies So I do want to talk a little bit about the other types of government that are odd to be so underrepresented. So theocracy is the first one that comes to mind. If you're playing in a world with gods, then it's actually kind of nuts that there aren't more theocracies. Right. Honestly, like, um, what, what exactly is a theocracy to be specific down to the definition? So, uh, there's a couple of different ways. So the probably easiest way is that a rulership is directly representative of a deity. So like so whether uh, that is so it could be a situation oh, of okay, a god is actually a god king. So you could go that direct with it. Or the more actually uh, another example. Uh, do you know who Lolth is? Yes. So Drow, like in most D and D canon, are matriarchal theocracies. Uh, very brief tangent. Again, like I mentioned earlier, there are going to be combinations of types of government. It's not 
just going to be one thing because anytime you have large groups of people, it can get complicated. But anyway, so drow matriarchal theocracies, they are ruled in pretty much, not pretty much, I think all drow cities are councils that are the high priestesses of Lulth are the rulers of all drow cities by canonical D&D. So that is exactly that. Okay, not just, you know, in worship of Lulth, but directly her high priestesses are the ruling councils of the cities. So it is direct representatives of the deity in question are the rulers of all the cities there. And I mean, like the the equivalent of like um, deity representation would literally just be like in Reflect Exemplar. Hey, rolling a place. Not you know, that kind of thing. well. Yeah. So if there was some an exemplar who actually was a ruler as well. So in right. so just to go to the kind of more real world example, like imagine if the Pope were actually a ruler instead of you know the more kind of figurehead position that he does typically employ. So if the Pope were actually like the ruler of Italy instead of hey, just knows? Vatican City. Give or take a couple of years, maybe he's going to start a new crusade. It's going to be great. There's going to be nukes. Oh, Holy nukes. You realize that I'm <laughs> Jewish and crusades typically don't go great for us. Holy nukes. <laughs> holy nukes. Instead of holy water, they bless the nukes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, Honestly, that sounds okay. like an amazing setting. Okay. Okay. On the other hand, like let's let's actually dive into that a little bit more in the D and D realm. For some reason, even though like paladins are so very very often depicted as that like crusader kind of archetype, I don't know that I've actually seen a D and D game where like the thing going on is a crusade. And that'd be kind of awesome to play in, whether it is just like a party of adventurers who just get kind of embroiled into things where it is this kind of theocracy that is just trying to conquer the land in the name of their god. Like, I I entirely understand Crusades because... If anyone has ever played any game where you, you you have territory and some enemy takes control of that territory that you once had, oh, you you gotta be pissed off and trying to get that as soon get that back as soon as possible. Yeah, that could certainly be the case. But again, in D and D, there literally are gods in most D and D worlds. I should say it's not automatically the case, but generally. So if you do have these clerics that exist in the world paladins that exist in the world that may or may not be directly getting power from a deity then it's odd that that isn't a more prominent thing which leads me to mageocracy because in D&D magic is bullshit high level magic especially so if you have a high magic world it is insanity that some magic user somewhere isn't the person in charge. So very often the trope is that like the king is a fighter and then there's a royal advisor who's the wizard. But why? There's no reason to really do things that way. Like there's no need to do things that way, I should say. Have I mean, hell, just directly flip it even. Like there's totally 
a lot of tropes in fiction where it is the reverse situation. And yet that is oddly rare in D&D to see the situation of the wizard king who has just like the powerful bodyguard who is the fighter instead of right. just that person being the king. <laughs> I just and- find it funny because like, honestly, the wizard king sort of thing makes more sense because you don't really want the mo- the, the guy who you probably possibly lose the most getting killed up in the front. Yeah, and not to mention, like, we've, I mean, hell, we did a whole episode on immortality. Like, D&D high magic has immortality pretty easily in a lot of different ways, and that's even excluding things like lichdom and vampirism. Like, just magically, immortality is possible in D&D pretty easily in a handful of ways off the top of my head. And that's, again, just by rules as written, not even including any kind of homebrew shenanigans. So if you have a wizard king, and again, note that I'm fucking falling into the trap myself and defaulting to the idea of them being a king, like to just take a step back from that again for a moment, maybe it's a situation where, oh, okay, like let's say there was like a party of adventurers that's not like the player characters, but just a party of adventurers. Like, let's just say for the sake of argument that it's like a 12th level party that like traveled the land, fought things, did real good. And then they're just like, well, fuck, that was hard. Um, Let's retire now. Yeah, that sounds good. If you have a 12th level party just in your world and then they just decided to retire, those are really fucking powerful people. So what do they do with themselves? Like, even if it is a situation of, okay. They're real well known at that point in time in the game. So if you have that, you know, proceed in a kind of logical direction, in theory, a party that powerful is hopefully well liked. So even if you have a democracy, it would not be out of the realm of possibility to just have a magic user who has a lot of utility spells in their spellbook to just get voted into the position in charge. So you could have, you know, a wizard president in that situation where this is just a now very politically powerful individual who is also magically powerful. And could you imagine the benefits to someone in a position of power having something like Zone of Truth, as I do so often rant about? One thing I find very interesting with like in real life and fantasy, like just general forms of government is that I just find it really funny that very often the people who get voted in these po- into these positions, right, sometimes aren't actually people who really are qualified to make big decisions about mm. things. They're just yeah. people that people like a lot or people who people recognize. Yeah, that's really a fucking problem weird. with governing in general. Like, could you imagine if you just... Actually, that's something that you could kind of have fun with, just like have your wizard president just be really good at magic but maybe they're not a good ruler like they just they don't know how to keep a budget that's just not something that they're good at that's not something they've ever had to do before it's like one of those things where you you could take a look at any major wizard character like let's just bring out blackthorn it's like I mean, like, I'm, I'm sure, like, he'd be a great guy to have researching shit, but you certainly don't want him to, uh, sitting in any place of power that requires dealing with people whatsoever. No, no, <laughs> we saw we what happened. <laughs> yeah, it didn't go great. Well, for him, that was ugh, that was the time. But yeah, and like, that's the whole point. Is like, that's one of the things that is arguably dangerous about democracy is what happens when you vote in an unqualified candidate a moment of silence to not say the obvious thing but anyway 
that's a thing that can happen. So whether it is, you know, a democracy, whether it is a monarchy, whether it is a conqueror, because that's a thing that can happen too. that there are different ways of dealing with power. Like, yeah, there can be someone who just is the king. But could you imagine if, okay, just another way to do it? So I mentioned conqueror just a second ago. A lot of the time, it is long-standing monarchy is the thing that just is the default in D&D for whatever reason that is the case. But imagine if it isn't that. What happens if, okay, like the year before our campaign began, you know, the just history of the world that you're playing in, this person did just kill the entire ruling family and they're in charge now. Okay. There are a lot of different ways that you as a DM could play with that kind of situation. Honestly, like, is there a just talking about this? I I just remembered something. Um, Mm. These things have happened in real life before. But one thing that we we don't ever really see often is the general people's rioting and getting angry over this stuff. Yeah, dude, peasant revolt. If you have all of the people who are unhappy band together, what does that create? in fifth edition rules no no, it's not just that because sometimes you just have like like sorry but you just have weird ass people (sighs) who who may not be in that position but they 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 they, they're on the royalist side as well and they fight against the peasant revolution for whatever reason you did not take the cue and i'm sad action economy action economy (laughs) if you have a peasant revolt in dungeons and dragons that puts a massive, massive action economy advantage on their side. Because even if you do have a majocracy with, you know, let's even just say that they have a couple of apprentices even. So you have that 12th level wizard with a couple of other apprentices now after a few years of ruling. But they're so bad at it that the peasants rise up against them. Okay, even if you have... 10 people that can cast fireball that's real bad for peasants however if there's 10,000 peasants with rocks they're gonna win so playing that up in a D&D game just it it makes sense that even as powerful as a level 20 individual in the world is numbers matter but at the same time you as the DM can choose how you want that kind of situation to play out. Is it the kind of thing where, yeah, there's 10,000 of us, but if a thousand of us die, I don't like my odds, so they are just living in fear and not rising up, then your player characters might be the catalyst to spark that kind of uprising. That'd be a real cool kind of game to play. Could you imagine you have the kind of intrigue of trying to like get you know the voice of the people kind of together to organize things you have that kind of you know assassination kind of stuff potentially to get certain troublesome individuals out of your way and then you just end things with a fucking massive army battle that could be really fucking cool but anyway uh where was i before we we keep tangenting a lot like we do uh, oh, uh, so I was talking earlier about just how you can choose to have the kind of conqueror go in different directions. So you can go the kind of typical, there's someone that they missed. There's like a lost heir to the kingdom that has to get found. Uh, 
And then that could be the kind of situation. Okay, do the PCs have a child to protect? Is there an adult that they have to find? Is it the kind of thing where the person knows that they're the heir or not? There is no limit to the number of ways you can interpret or use such a situation. Or even if there's not, you know, an heir apparent. Okay, there's a conqueror. What happens when a conqueror dies and they don't have an heir? Then what happens? I don't know. Whatever you want to happen. And that's part of the fun of thinking about how using governments can add to your D&D game. Because not everyone in the world should just be a king. There are so many different styles of rulership and government that exist that it is valuable, in my opinion, to think more about this and apply all of this to your world. To think about the, the three questions I was mentioning earlier. Just how much resources does a kingdom have available? From what? And third question that I don't remember right now because I'm tired. But thinking about the types of government that exist, how do all of these people interact with one another adds a layer of depth and realism to your world. Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash riftwakepodcast. Tiers start as low as a dollar, and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the monthly hangout where you'll be able to chat with the cast, and even input on Riffs and Rules topics. Find us on social media, on Twitter at Riftwake Podcast, on Facebook as Riftwake, on Reddit, on the subreddit, r slash Riftwake Podcast, and you can send us an email, riftwakepodcast at gmail.com. And that's it for today. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.